another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone right here on TDN Radio. Uh, you're now locked in to Untapped Potential for today, October 5th. 2021. So we are in the first week of October. The year is quickly coming to a close. So as a reminder, when we come here for Untapped Potential, we still have those all important life goals that we are working on. So it is wonderful to be here as we get powered up for another week together, another week of life, another week of togetherness that we are absolutely grateful for. Unfortunately, the weather is not the greatest here down in Georgia. We are expecting rain for the entire week. But you know, no complaints. We still are enjoying the wonderful cool weather. So we are grateful for the wonderful weather that we are enjoying down here in Georgia. So welcome to the program. Welcome on board. We have another Power Packed episode for you. And speaking of Power Pack, our uh, interview today will be an interview I had the honor of conducting this Sunday. So Sunday, just gone, I had the opportunity to interview the spokesperson for the Patrick Roland John family. Uh, if you are familiar with Dominica, you would know that Mr. Patrick Roland John was the very first prime minister of Dominica. He is the one who led us out of the British rule and brought us into independence as an independent nation. So I had the honor of interviewing the spokesperson for the family on the passing of Mr. Patrick Roland John, that would be Mr. Simeon Joseph, and he was joined by someone else who was very familiar with Mr. Patrick Roland John in the person of Mr. Alex Bruno. Alex has conducted several personal interviews with Mr. John, so he has quite a bit of information on the life and times and the legacy of Mr. Patrick Roland John. So we had them stop by on our Push Past 10 platform on Facebook for a very candid, very engaging, very power-packed uh, discussion in which the audience became very involved. And I have to say, I was certainly intrigued to see that members have 
every political platform in Dominica was on the platform. So we had uh, UWP, we had Freedom Party, we had Labor Party, we even had Sophia Sky. I, I keep forgetting what her political party used to be called, but she was there as well. And Alex represents the APP party. So very informative, very engaging. So today I would like to bring you this particular interview as we recognize the passing of Mr. Patrick Roland John and all that he contributed to Dominica and the legacy that he left behind. So that will be our interview today. So I hope that you will stay tuned for our interview with uh, Mr. Simeon Joseph and Mr. Alex Bruno. And we also must remember that this month, October, is the month to recognize domestic violence. So we spend a lot of time on this program talking about the importance of uplifting our people. And one of the important roles that we must play is in recognizing important occasions such as domestic violence awareness. So as our tip for the week, I will go ahead and share with you this important topic. And you can also expect to hear from uh, Rasmo out of Dominic this month on our platforms as he stops by to educate us on the importance of being aware of the cycles of domestic violence and just some general information that I'm hoping that we can engage our audience in uh, this week. And not just this week, but this month, as a matter of fact. So welcome, welcome to the program. It is wonderful to have you on board as we get energized uh, for yet another week together. Uh, we are still mindful that COVID-19 is very much a part of our lives as we count now that we have about 22 cases of COVID-19 deaths in Dominica. Truly unfortunate, but this is the reality of the world that we live in today. So we extend our sympathies to the family and friends of those we have lost to COVID-19, and we continue to encourage everyone to follow the protocols. And I'm sure by now you've heard the challenges that many of the schools in Dominica are facing with virtual learning. So we have a lot to discuss. We have a lot to be concerned about. But as we always say, we still find reasons to be grateful, grateful for life, grateful for your co your companionship, uh, grateful for each other. So we are very happy that you're here with us for another episode of Untapped Potential. And you know, this month we're celebrating independence in Dominica leading up to November 3rd. So I thought we would go ahead and get started with this song from Gramax as we recognize the important role of Cadaslipso in our Dominica um, culture. So enjoy this one from Gramax as we get ready to bring you the the interview from Mr. Alex Bruno and Mr. Simeon Joseph via Facebook Live, which we conducted on Sunday. So Sunday was October uh, October 3rd. So we conducted this particular interview on October 3rd via Facebook Live. So enjoy this number for Gra from Gramax and then stay tuned for the interview. And don't forget, we will also um, bring you the information on domestic violence and of course, more information about how we continue to grow our community. So enjoy this number from Grammar.
Are you struggling to pay your bills? Has your income been impacted by COVID-19? Are you on track with securing your family's financial future? Let Badui Financial Services be your guide in this ever-changing world. From budgeting and finally eliminating your debt to protecting your income and leaving a financial legacy for your family. Badui Financial Services is your one-stop shop for securing your financial future. Give them a call today at 864-607-1361. That number again, 864-607-1361. Badui Financial Services, Integrity and Service is our commitment to you. Give them a call. Reports on the era presented, statements of facts large in the history of Dominica. But have we heard from the culprit in chief, the man, the man who was at the helm of it all, the man in the direct line of fire during this defining moment of Dominica's political history? Why? Well, he's Patrick Roland John, the first prime minister of Dominica, the man at the center of the action. The man whose government fell a mere six months following the island's independence. Someone who should have an insight, a say, a voice. His stake on his downfall is therefore presented in this exclusive interview type documentary. And here is how our conversation began. I wanted to zero in on the aspect of your time just before your government fell. Please share with us what happened during the time when the Labour Party government led by you, limited off. Yeah, so that is just a quick introduction to the conversation that we are about to have this evening. A pleasant good evening to one and all, and welcome to this very important conversation. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I am Simone Matthew, and this evening we are joined by Mr. Alex Bruno, whose interview you began to listen to at the beginning of the program. And we're also joined by Mr. Simeon Joseph, the spokesman for the Patrick, the uh, Patrick John family in Dominica. So pleasant good evening to you, and thank you for joining us for this very important conversation on the life and Dominica's first prime minister, uh, the man who led Dominica into independence from the British monarchy, Mr. Patrick Roland John. As many of you are aware, Mr. John passed away a few months ago and he was laid to rest on September 30th. So uh, last week he was laid to rest. So it is important. This is an important conversation that we're having because we may be familiar with his past. We may be familiar with some of the myths about Patrick Roland John, but I also think that it is very important to have a conversation about how he should be memorialized. So I thought we could have two people who spend extensive 
periods of time with Mr. John join us today. And so we have here Mr. Alex Bruno and Mr. Simeon Joseph. And we'll just jump right in and have them introduce themselves and just tell us how they came to know Mr. Patrick Roland John. So Simeon, thank you for being here. Let me unmute your mics as we get the conversation started. And I will go and share the link with you as well, so you can share it on your end. So go ahead, Simeon. Ah, good evening to Simeon. Thank you for having me on the program. Uh, also, good evening to your listeners. Alex, my uh, compatriot, fellow villager, <laughs> um, uh, distant cousin, and, and, and how you call it, almost neighborhood friend. We share the the close proximity of friendship between my father and your grandfather mr nibs alexander i cannot go on the program this afternoon without mentioning nibs alexander uh because of uh, you know when you think of of, of patrick john the labor stalwarts calibishi all those things there are some key persons who 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 were in what you call the boy of labor so to speak so alex that is our connection going way back um, so I, I, all I would say is I've known Patrick John from a very early age. Uh, for, I would say from the age of about six or seven thereabout. Um, I was uh, when um, uh, just the uh, how how can I say his uh, his nativity into my life, so to speak, came about when he used to visit some neighbors of mine, um, the Lawrences on Jepson's Lane. Um, we lived on 14 Monroe Street. The Lawrences lived on Jepson's Lane and Patrick and Desiree were close friends of Rita um, Lawrence and her children. And, and so um, um, that's how I first met him. Uh, fast forward about two or three years later than that, um, he was about to go up as a candidate for the Labour Party uh, in Rosa North. And so he came home with Mr. Christian, Mr. Liblan, my father. And I saw this short man articulate, uh, expounding in a way. And, and it sparked an interest for me that I wanted when I grew up to be that kind of person, able to speak uh, with that kind of uh, fluency and articulation. Fast forward again to my um, late primary school years when um, I, I, I happened to have been to have encountered Patrick on the Newton Savannah on the night that they were going, the day that they were going to launch Eustace Francis uh, on the Newton Savannah in the old shop of Mr. Lloyd. And he he called me and I didn't know that he knew me. He said, young Joseph. And then I turned around and he said, Patrick John. And he gave me one statement that has stuck with me from my life. Don't let your father down. And, and that has stuck with me. And then, as I said, my interest and my keen observation of Patrick John led me into um, the 1975 election. As a matter of fact, Simon, I don't know if I'm allowed to give a little vignette there, that on the night Eustace Francis was being launched on the Newton Savannah, um, I sneaked out. I jumped a back window of my uh, the boys' room at the time and passed through our uh, backyard garden down to the uh, side of the Anglican Cemetery onto the field of the Newton Savannah to listen to that political meeting. At that political meeting, it was very significant for me because Patrick John introduced Babs Dyer and Ronan David as two lawyers of poor working class people who had come back to Dominica into the legal system. Before that, they were just um, sons of the elite, so to speak, who were really the lawyers of Dominica, the Armors, the Francis's, the Dupinis, etc. And Patrick 
um, um, introduced these two sons of working class women um, to the Dominican public on that night. It was also that night that he uttered for me what I found one of the most poignant political statements ever, which has been attributed to Mike Douglas. And that statement was, they can come as much as they will, but we will confound their politics. We will frustrate their dirty tricks and we will give them endless leaks. And that stuck with me. I came very excited. I went home the next day and I stood on the side step of our veranda. And here was I talking to trees and branches. Um, um, uh, how you call it? Uh, uh, copying Patrick Jones, so to speak. Uh, and with this, and then that. So, and then following that, my keen interest in politics led me to just um, follow the man. And um, subsequently, I met him once when I went to see my father, who was working at the government headquarters as local government commissioner. He was coming up the steps and he asked me about school. I was in common entrance class at the time and I told him what I was struggling with. And he said to come to Monbrus to see me when you want to answer questions. And I said, so I, I took up the offer. And, and from then, um, PJ would, when he come from work in the afternoon, PJ would... Uh, Question me on what I learned at school. My class teacher at the time was Arthur Smith at the Rosa Boys School and um, subsequently Lennox Linton in my common entrance class. Two very uh, challenging teachers to me. Arthur was social studies. Lennox basically was English and class teacher. And so um, during those years, um, um, every afternoon, PJ would drill me on my Who's the prime minister of St. Kitts? Who's the prime minister of St. Lucia? Who's the governor general of So? Who is this? Who is that? And I would have to respond to him. And then subsequently, he assisted me with writing my English uh, uh, essays for my extra classes, which I was doing at the time at the Roosevelt Boys School under Miss, Miss James. And so that grew our, our friendship, that uh, developed our connection with each other. And because my family at the time lived not too far from uh, the house of the prime minister, and um, I, I began, used to listen to my mother on the utterances of people who were anti-labor at the time and how they would castigate labor rights. And, and at that time, the, the Freedom Party was growing in strength. And because the Freedom Party was growing in strength, the, 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 the labor rights at the time were often intimidated and, 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 and made to feel that it was wrong to be a laborite and you had to be a freedomite no matter what. If you were not a freedomite, you might as well be better off dead. And so um, that strengthened me um, into listening to, to the, the ears of PJ, so to speak. And then another, um, in, uh, another scenario again is when I was in my later years in grammar school and um, I would continue to go to Mon Bruce. And one of the things that struck me was when PJ came home one day, he put on his briefcase. I can still see him in his cream um, um, shirt jack suit and he a uh, brown shoes. And he put down his suitcase. What he did was he changed his clothes and... While I was on the porch at the Prime Minister's residence at Mount Bruce, on a desk that was there doing my homework or writing a, a thing that I saw PJ ironing clothes. And it struck me, I said, here is the Premier of Dominica, he was not Prime Minister yet, coming home and ironing clothes. And it struck me. And, I, I, and he used to have a lot of shirt jacks. And at grammar school, we used to wear shirt jacks at the time. And we had someone ironing for us as a family used to come home. And I, I said, look at this. And then what happened was um, 
I, I, I had problems ironing clothes. And so I asked him, but how do you iron? He let me iron one of his uh, cotton shirt jacks at the time. He used to have crimping shirt jacks, polyester shirt jacks, and he used to have cotton shirt jacks at the time. And so he was ironing one of his yellow um, cotton shirt jacks, and he taught me. And from then on, subsequently, I went home, and every Sunday afternoon, I then began to iron my shirt jacks for grammar school. I was involved in the labor youth um, organization movement, and fast forward to having gone to study, come back to Dominica, and engaging Desiree and Patrick John at the time. Because in the early 80s, my family and the family of Patrick John were perhaps the two most victimized families in Dominica under the Freedom Party government. My father suffered, my mother suffered, my brother sister suffered, my sister suffered, and we were all, uh, and I too suffered as a young liberator under the hands of Freedomite on three specific occasions in Dominica. And so that, uh, how you call it, that correlation of victimization, that, that mutual experience of, of, of getting, uh, facing the antagonism of the might of the Freedom Party brought our families even closer together, much closer together. And so um, Desri became my friend, PJ became my friend. And over the years, I have continued to maintain contact with Desri and Patrick, even during their sojourn of people who were close to them, people who were uh, intimately involved in their lives in the past abandoned them. Because at one time, PJ was like an anatomacet. And so Desri had to um, carry the burden of, of being a strong woman to stand by her husband, and I would say her man, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, because that is how you put it, you know, if you are to ascribe to that song by Dolly Parton, you know. And so um, that is it. And then I, I was always sympathetic and sorrowful to what Patrick John went through and what Desri went through. And not only Desri and Patrick, but Patrick's first children, if his first wife, Patricia, Hephelia, and so forth, what they, what they suffered and Rennick and these people because they were Patrick John's children. And also to Neri and to a less extent, Aisha. Neri, I remember the days when my family on the, during the, 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 the hiatus of 1979, we had to smuggle Neri John wrapped in a blanket at the dark of night across to the, the, the Robinsons, the neighbors, and sometimes take him to our home and my sister Margaret and so we'll take him in. Because the animosity against Patrick John was so strong that we were afraid for the life of Neri. And in the dark of night, we had to bring Neri home to ensure that in case anything, he would be safe. And so these are experiences, experience of being a mentor, experience of being a close friend, experience of, of, of helping them to be a, 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 a Simon Peter to carry our crosses together and go through that whole cathartic movement of enduring victimization and pain and suffering and alienation only because of a different political opinion. Yes, but, and I want to I wanna yeah. thank you for that, um, Simeon. It sounds like he had a profound impact on your life and he was a Definitely. mentor 
and you also speak very well of his humility as well. And I am going to acknowledge everyone who's joining us on the Facebook Live this evening, but I want to say a special good evening to Mrs. Desri A.W. John, the wife of Mr. Patrick Roland John, who is joining us via Facebook Live. Good evening, ma'am. And thank you for the correction that he was laid to rest on September 29th. And before we acknowledge the rest of our Facebook audience, I want to go over now to Mr. Alex Bruno as he tells us how he came to know Mr. Patrick Roland John and he even, even had the opportunity to conduct several interviews with him. So, Alex? Hi, what's going on? Greetings to my brother, Simeon. It's nice to share this platform with him. Simeon, as he quite rightly said, is my dear friend. Going way back, we are from Calibishi together and we are neighbors in every aspect. My grandfather was one of the pillars of labor. He died being a strong labor right? The last words he told me, well, not the last words, but words put it into the Labour Party was was that that we did the annual labor, you know, but we still our labor man. Meaning what is there now is not labor, but he's still a labor man. I'm Sylvester Joseph is uh one what I call him e I say I refer to him in the present tense because to me, people like this do not die. Their spirit live on. As Simeon's dad um, was, is a mentor, a dear friend, a stickler for details and professionalism. And he too was a staunch labor man. I knew of the victimization that his entire family suffered. Um, I did not know Patrick as a boy at the tender ages that Simeon knew him. But I knew him from my home because my grandmother, Manibs, who would have been 91 today had she been alive, Patrick Sr. by a few years adored Patrick John. So it was a bit bizarre for me after a while when she started hating him. I didn't know what happened then, but I understood later on the, the, the sort of rumors and stories which were spread to cause people like my grandmother to not like Patrick. It was like night and day. So I, although I had not known Patrick from the time when I was a boy, but I was affiliated to him and his work from my home because my home had always been a labor home. Of course, my acquaintance to Patrick started when I moved to Roseau and I worked at DBS for a little while. I got fired, again, victimized by the Freedom Party um, in 1990, somewhere there about, um, or was it 89, somewhere there about. Um, so I lost my job as a police because they said I was affiliated with some party that had been newly formed. And then I was, I got back my job through a tribunal they took me out on broadcasting and put me on the spots desk. So it's through the spots desk I got to get acquainted with Patrick John, and I started really working with him and realized that he was such a humble person. So my relationship with Patrick personally goes back at least a couple of um, um, dozen, at least 20, the better part of 20 years, and I would have interviewed Patrick on records at least six to seven times, and I retain all these, rec all these recordings and so on. Desri, for some wonderful reason, I thank her, allowed me access to Patrick every time I called. And I must say thanks to Desri because Desri turned up almost everyone else from speaking with Patrick. So Desri, I must say that uh, I thank you publicly and I will do the best to honor Patrick's cherished memory because he indeed was a gentleman that Dominica has not even begun to know in terms of his humility, the depth of his heart, his passion, and the love that he really has or had for the Dominican people. So in a nutshell, that's it. I, I cannot claim to know Patrick from the time I was a boy, although I know him from my house, my home circle, 
But in terms of a professional relationship, I can confess that for over two decades, Patrick and I, we shared a very good friendship, a very good bond, and a wonderful exchange in terms of professional information, which I am willing to share, and I certainly will share, um, courtesy the John family, again, um, pending Desiree's blessings and approval, and Simeon, of course, who is the official spokesperson for the family. So it's a pleasure to be here. Simone, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. And so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to talk about the challenges, the successes of Mr. Patrick Rowland John. But before we do so, um, Alex, I went ahead and shared the link to your interviews because I think that they are profound and um, every Dominican should hear from Mr. John his own words in terms of his administration, his life, the importance of sports the important role that sports played, his role as a union man in Dominica. So I went ahead and posted a link to your interview. And if anybody's interested in the other interviews, they can simply um, type in Alex Bruno to get access to the interview. So I just want to take a pause and acknowledge everyone who's joining us via Facebook Live. I see we have Lorraine Delsol, uh, Tina Bell, the Ramon, Glenda, and of course I will not be able to call all the names because we have quite an audience this evening and we're very happy that you're joining us um, this evening. Andre, uh, Mrs. Desri John, who I mentioned before, Mr. Derek Ra Peters, Mr. Dr. Damian Dublin is also here with us. Um, Mr. Naren King Murphy is here, Reverend Laurencia, Alfred, and the list goes on. So let's jump right into the conversation as we talk about, in your view, some of the successes of Mr. Patrick Roland John, some of his challenges along the way, and then we will conclude with how he should be memorialized. But who's just joining us? I am Simone Matthew, and you're listening and watching our interview with Mr. Alex Bruno and Mr. Simeon Joseph, and we're speaking on the Prime Minister, the very first Prime Minister of, of Dominica, Mr. Patrick Roland John, and how he should be memorialized at this point. So let's get into the conversation. Alex and Simeon, your thoughts on challenges and successes. Uh, Alex, what you want to go where, first? Where, where should we start? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> we have as much time as you guys have. <laughs> well, I mean, I think probably we should begin with debunk, debunking the myths. I think that yes. has to be taken care of before we get into um, Patrick's achievements and his successes. Because there is a, I think the biggest myth, and Simon would agree, about Patrick, uh, in that he, he really had a craving for power and an overzealous um, passion for power. And that is not true. Totally, 100% not true. Patrick had a passion for people. He loved the people. And if Patrick understood the extent to which he could bend his power to assist people, Patrick might have done that. Or Patrick probably knew, and he just didn't care about it. Patrick was cavalierish, down to earth, ghetto, if you want to say that, for a, a better term. And Patrick didn't care too much about the system and the, and the society. Patrick was like a one-man army against the civil, the civil society. And he was all about people, representation, empowering the, the ordinary man, the small man. He used that term, the man, the man, the man, as a, as a metaphor for a, a sort of reassurance that people are human beings with dignity. Mm -hmm. and, and everything he said was about the man. So Patrick was all about the people, not about the power. So Simeon? I would yeah. like us to debunk 
that yes. very vicious about Yes. For the people who said that he's his quest for power who brought him down. That is so unfair. But you see, absolutely unfair. But you see, Alex, one of the greatest challenges that Patrick faced eh, is the fact that too many people try to define Patrick for who they wanted people to believe that he is, yes. that he was. And unfortunately, the Dominican society has not drifted away from that venomous. Uh, insightful attitude of trying to define others by how they want other people to know them. That was one of Patrick's greatest challenges. And so in essence, because Patrick, you see, was a man, people knew that Patrick was a fighter. Yes. Patrick was a fighter. Yes. But he was never a fighter for himself and on his behalf. And so because he was never a fighter for himself and his behalf, he never saw the need to fight against those who were trying to bring him down and to get the better of him. He was often very dismissive of attacks coming to him. Yes. And sometimes would make a joke out of it and dismiss it, even throughout his life in terms of, um, I'm not sure if Alex can remember, but once Alex, um, I think you alluded to it in one of your interviews with him. When I had the opportunity to speak to Patrick, I said, Patrick, speak to me about your days at HHV Church and oh, Company. Yes. Yes. And while as a young man working at HSV Church and Company, he had to deal with some of his supervisors, mm -hmm. like Mr. Coltad and yes. Mr. Deloney and, and these people. And, and you see, one of the things, the fortunate things that I have had the opportunity to do is that in spite of listening to Patrick, I have been able personally to verify a lot of what Patrick told me about himself with other people, even some of his yeah. arch enemies. Because you see, I'm the kind of person, Simon and Alex and the listeners, if you tell me something about Alex and Simon, and I, I'm not going to take it, or if Alex or Simon tells me something, no, you have to be eclectic and globally minded to realize that there's one, two, three, four and sometimes five sides to a story before you can come up with the veracity of the content of what people are trying to tell you. And so I had, because at one point I remember, and why I have been fortunate is that at one time, Mr. Coltad at Richard was my next door neighbor at Mont Bruce. He lived just in front of us after Hurricane David. My home was where he bathed and did everything. No, that was after Hurricane Maria. And I grew up knowing that man vociferously against Patrick John until Hurricane David after Patrick was overthrown. And then he had to come home. His son David Coulter and I were very close friends. And one time when he came home, and then um, I don't know what happened. And then in 1980, when Patrick was arrested, not for the overthrow, but for the non-refundable of $42 and change traveling to Lawrence. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah, travel. It, oh. it was, yeah, it was um, yeah. some money. Yeah. You know, when you travel as as yeah, uh, refund, minister, yeah. head of state. So he, he, he had given an advance. Advance, an advance. allowance advance. Yeah, and then whatever you spend, you return you minus whatever you spend from the advance, and you return the portion that right. you didn't spend. So he had not yet returned the portion that he yes, didn't Alex, spend he did. on the advance. Yes, he did. He did. Well, the story is. The story is. There was a discrepancy between the among that was written because he, he had asked the cabinet secretary, Mr. Signoret, to file the return, to attend to that poem. I think he was traveling 
And when the financial secretary, I think, questioned him, he asked me, sir, and then what happened, it was the exchange rate between the U.S. dollars, okay? That, so, in other words, at that time, Dominica had just been twinned with the, help me know, the, the EC with currency, the, the U.S. The, currency. The, yeah, that was somewhere right. 19. And so, the, when yeah, he filed his return, there was a difference, because I think he used the wrong exchange rate. And so they had arrested him for that. That was the first thing. In other words, they had investigated him for corruption first and foremost. Yes. When Miss Charles came into power, she had what you call a, an inquiry made up of Desmond Blanchard, Bradley Hector, and um, Ozzy Lewis. Ozzy Lewis was the director of audit. audit. I think um, Mr. Mr. Bradley Hector was the uh, whatever in treasury. And Desmond Blanchard was a policeman, I think, in charge of CID. Okay, uh, I would dare say a very vindictive man, who were telling who were telling liberate he's coming to get them. He told my father at some point, "You're driving to, you're riding a high horse, and I have to bring you down." So this was the language being used by these people, and so they investigated Patrick for months for corruption. They found nothing. They went in there the investigation saying that he had built his house with money from communications and works. That he had, he had um, what you call it, accounts overseas and all those things. Yeah. And they found nothing. All they found was that traveling allowance discrepancy, the discrepancy and the rest the for it. Mm -hmm. So then when I heard Mr. Coulter says, Mr. Coulter at that time, may he soul rest in peace. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say you don't speak ill of the dead. But when you're speaking the truth and you're speaking facts, you know you're not misquoting or lying about anybody, so your conscience is clear. So Mr. Coulter said, good, at last, they got him. And I asked why, and I had to, I sat down, and I spoke with him. And he, the, the way he spoke about Patrick, and then I had occasion now to speak to Patrick about it, and then to make one and one make two for Connection. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so when we're speaking about challenges, you have to remember that there were a lot of people in the mercantile community there were a lot of uh how you call it now petty bourgeois you would call that because in those days dominica was the petty bourgeois the people who felt that because they had a certain status and position in society they were above and beyond other people in the community huh? um, um bourgeois okay and so and patrick they felt who was patrick and remember, Patrick moved into We Church not as an ordinary thing. Patrick moved into We Church into the shipping agency, and of course, you know that kind of thing. And so he faced so he faced those challenges there as a, as a young man. And so a lot of people defined PJ. That was one of his biggest challenges. I, I could say that one of his greatest challenges, if we're talking about challenges, is that Patrick was always a victim of persons who sought to define him based on how they wanted people to understand who he was and knowing fully well that the person whom they were characterizing was not the actual man in essence of who patrick was you understand what i'm saying mm -hmm. and so i turn over to alex now i don't know yeah you know. i just want to make uh, i'm going to come to the facebook live comments at some point but mrs john desiree john says labor rights were called yeneg so i can only imagine the amount of animosity that uh, was uh, sent towards labor rights at that time. Alex, you yes. want to proceed? That is true. That is quite true. Um, in, in fact, what was really happening during Patrick's era was, again, it wasn't just local, it was global, eh? because the world was gripped in this ideological political warfare. And somehow the opponents of Patrick successfully branded him 
on the wrong side of the politics. And they used that international fervor. Remember, remember Sparrow had made a song. Um, Patrick is a wanted man. Ali Butu is a wanted man. The Shah of Iran. That was during the time of Idi Amin. Of, yeah, Idi Amin, all of this. So that, that was the time when the world was up in arms against um, dictatorial leaders and, and questionable characters. And PJ was placed in that ilk. So the people, the petty bourgeois, used who wanted power and who, who would never get power they had been in opposition for like 20 years already and it would have been probably 50 years today had, had this not happened they used the the the, the 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 fervor of the time to successfully brand patrick and collapse the labor party and since then the labor party has never recovered eh? what we have in power now is not labor we'll speak about that a bit later on but the last real labor leader was patrick well we had mike after patrick but mike didn't do much because after Mike, we had Ruzi and Piero and now the present leader. All these guys come from different political ideologies. We know Piero was an alliance, DLM. Um, um, Ruzi also was alliance, communist, they call him. Um, and we can talk about how we turn, how we, how we connect the isms between socialism and, and capitalism in terms of Demi Eugenia and from this power sharing arrangement that this present prime minister now benefits from. He is not a labor, right? No, but in no, in no way, in, no, in not even a glimpse of the imagination that he is a laborite. He does not understand the fundamentals of labor. He does not operate that way. He does not live that way. So the people who led Dominic after Patrick, save Mike, have not been people who understood labor and labor philosophy, including Pierre, who I admire, admired and loved dearly. He understand grassroots. But we all know that he was not in the ideal, in the ilks of labor. And, so PJ essentially was the last yes. Yes, yes. And, and Alex, we don't want you to cut you across. Mm -hmm. There is Mike actually said that he was not a liberal, he was a social democrat. See. You understand yeah. what I'm telling you? Yes. And, and, and that was strengthened throughout his time within the Labour Party, even when he left the Labour Party and when he assumed the leadership of the Labour Party, he said he's a social democrat. You understand what I'm telling you? Yeah, and yeah. so um, we don't want you to, I just want to, I just throw yes. in that in because you see there are some things that we have to highlight. Which qualifies the statement that I'm making that PJ yeah. was the last real labor right. And there's a speech that I'll play sometime later on, which where he says that save the party. Here's what we need to do. These people want to get rid of labor. And if they get rid of labor, they are going to control you forever. He said so in a speech, but we didn't listen. And now we parade in saying that labor, labor, labor. Yes, the labor frame is being used in terms of the power that we have, the sharing arrangement that we have in power now. But it's essentially not the labor that was established by Isilo Black, was inherited by Eoli Blanc, and was passed on to Patrick John. That is not the same labor, right? The ideas and philosophy and principles of all shall eat. Mm -hmm. I, was about to say it. I was about to say not it. Not shall anymore. PJ yeah. would have never. You know what PJ told me once, Simon? Man, he can never be a money man, man, and be poor and hungry. You, know? you see, Alex, I can. I will die broke. Because what sense does it make for me to have so much and my people are suffering? I mean, flip the script and put it into the present context and look at what we have. I mean, is that labor? Somebody's going to have to convince me because. I am. I grew up in the labor um, family. I grew up in the labor, labor ideology. My grandfather was a resolute labor man. I he brought me up. I was born in his arms, and my grandmother. So I understood. I thought what labor was. 
um, and Patrick was the epitome of a labor leader and probably the last real labor stalwart. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can develop that in many areas. Again, I'm not here casting aspersions. I'm just here putting the context on the discussion that we're having and history in terms of the politics of our country. And if there's any true labor right who wants to refute it, you can say, okay, refute it. But I'm just offering what I think I have, what I learned from Patrick, and what I understood on my own um, research based on yeah, yeah. policies of Dominica. Dominica uh, and, as, and, and speaking of which, of course, this is beyond my years in terms of his reign. But if, even as a young child, and today while I was preparing for this conversation, I was speaking to my mom, and we're always reminded of the housing schemes that he, that he created. I grew up in the Bafisted housing scheme, and my mother speaks fondly of going to his office to mm -hmm. speak with him and talking about receiving one of those homes and yes. he explaining to her the homes are not ready but my mom um told him that she, it took six a woman to make she will make the house a home but we had to pay for them yes that unlike what we see now where the apartments are supposedly being handed over for free so there's no incentive for the occupants to pay for them so it just brings a different type of ethics where, where people are handed um, homes and material goods as opposed to having them pay for it because it gives you a sense of pride. It gives you a sense of this is something I have to work to ensure that I can maintain. I have to work so I can secure this property for my family. So I certainly can see what um, you and Simeon are referring to in terms of the Labour Party that uh, provided for the people, yes. not through handouts, Provided but through means. opportunities. And before yes. Simeon jump in, that's a good point that you make, and that's the major difference between the housing that Patrick did. And he did a housing project scheme in Calibishi as well. You know? mm -hmm. Yes. And Kenfield. And Kenfield. And there are people who owned that house still, who developed it and paid people like Tao and them. Yes, yes. we still, we still own ours. We still Alex, own Alex, it, was, Alex, it was more than a housing project. Yes. Patrick actually acquired for the people of Calibishi that entire Savan Pie Ridge. Which is prime real estate. Okay. And one of the things he did was that was one of his main, main things in life that in almost every community from the landholding class, he was going to acquire land for that the people of the community can go there, get, and, and the land was pretty cheap. Um, get a house, have a certificate of title, and put up a land for them to heal. And that's how the housing scheme came, because yes. the land had been designated for Calibishi for a while. Yes. And there are many people who had not yet built their houses because they could not afford to build of the course. houses. And that's why PJ decided, I have to put at least some houses there. Because if I do not begin the process, and your um, Alex, mm. your grandfather was part of this in helping to identify who should be the beneficiary? Who should benefit from the houses? From this land up there. Yeah. You know? and, and he said one time that he was like a land scavenger, just getting land, and he had to occupy the land before he lost the land in yes. the name of the people. Yes. And, and he would say, look, and, this is not for free. Just let me know what you can pay. If you can pay five cents, pay. Yes. If you can pay ten That's cents, it. pay. Yes. But pay something on it, because it becomes right. yours after you finish paying off the amount that we owe on the land, on the house. And my father told the story once of when he saw Calibishi people not going for the land, he told them, come and grab the land before people from outside come and come take and the take land it. and all you. Yes. And yes. that is how it started. Osborne Theodore, um, um, help me, 
uh, El Elford Henry at the Elford time. Henry. Even Mr. Uh, Billy Williams. You yes, know, Billy Williams were, and these people. Were very, I'm very much involved in and this. That is why today there's a, there's a lady in Calibi, she called Tao. Poor Toleva. I just call her name. You, you just you just say <laughs> and she ready to come for you. When Labour Party has the then. convention, when the first person, if the convention starting at three o'clock or nine o'clock, Tower dress on the side of the road if her red. They are the, I mean, they, I mean, they would not, they will not change forever, forever. They are labor, they are consummate labor, right? Yes. So Simeon that, is right. And that and is why, people, yeah, that's why people like mommy. And yes. you see, Alex and Simon, there are some people who have remained in this quote unquote labor party, and I can understand why. Mm -hmm. Because they, they have an affinity to labor, and they might feel betrayed if they leave the labor party that is there. Because mommy will tell you, mommy herself is another story of somebody who Patrick John personally touched as a laborite when she came from Curacao yeah. and was given some property at King's Hill. So, you know, sometimes um, we see people um, and we don't, but but we, we if we know their stories, we can appreciate uh, where they stand in life. Um, mm -hmm. But but you see, coming back to challenges, eh? um, um, Alex and Simon. Patrick John always faced the challenge of a sector of the Dominican society and the political directorate of postulating the position that he was not fit to be leader of the party. Mm. Now, if you go back to the era of the Winstons and the Eustace Francis and the Amores, and all those people, and even the end, and the end, and and he experienced the same thing that LeBlanc encountered when people Oof. like N A N Ducre and so felt that that little boy from Vekas hmm. should not be the leader of the because you see the Labour Party transitions from the DUPP where you had that sort of Creole mulatto bourgeois class ruling Dominica, the land holding class. The financialist um, um, superior class, the, the the color of the skin sect of society who felt that 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 there was too much of a quick transition from the white man to the black man. So people with higher color were the ones who were supposed to inherit. Yeah, so again, huh? this was the, the a portion of an interview I had the honor of doing with Mr. Alex Bruno and Mr. Simeon Joseph on the passing of our very first Prime Minister of Dominica, Mr. Patrick Roland John. And this interview in particular is two hours long. So what I've decided to do is I will have part of the interview today, uh, Tuesday, and next week I will bring you the second half of this very important interview. So mark your calendars, set your time for our engagement next Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern Time, right here on TVN Radio. So as we continue along here with the program, I want to bring you this information as we recognize Domestic Violence Month. And this particular clip is entitled 14 Signs 
of emotional abuse. And keep in mind, when we talk about emotional abuse, we're not simply speaking about men being the aggressors, because unfortunately, women as well are the aggressors in some domestic violence situations, and we must recognize that as well. So take a listen to this particular clip, The 14 Signs of Emotional Abuse, as we come back and wind down the program for yet another week. Do you think you're in an emotionally abusive relationship? According to One Love Organization, emotional abuse is any abusive behavior that includes verbal aggression, intimidation, manipulation, and humiliation. Does your partner, friend, or family member show signs of emotional abuse? Here are 14 subtle signs of emotional abuse in relationships. 1. They blame you for things. It's a sign of abuse if your partner blames you for the things they've done. They avoid responsibility and say things like, you made me do it, or it's your fault this happened. 2. They avoid certain topics. Does it feel like you're walking on eggshells around your partner? It's a sign if you have to stay quiet about things that bother you and fear it will trigger your partner. 3. They control how you act. Abusers might control how you act by telling you that they're just being helpful. Even if it sounds like they're being supportive, they're still trying to manipulate your behavior. 4. They change your plans. Abusers will change your plans without telling you to keep their control over you. They may surprise you when you're supposed to be meeting your friends, so you have to cancel. In time, you might find yourself dependent on them on what to do. 5. They're emotionally available one moment and distant the next. Is it hard to talk to them because they keep shifting from being emotionally available to unavailable? They don't offer any explanation, or they deny their behavior. It keeps you guessing and in fear of them. 6. They say hurtful things as a joke. It's a sign of emotional abuse when they say things they know will hurt you, but then play it off as a joke. They ignore your feelings and make you doubt yourself and your self-worth. 7. They make you guess what they want. You're not a mind reader, and having a partner that expects you to know what they want all the time is childish and immature. A healthy relationship is built on open communication, not assumptions. 8. They ignore your feelings. Instead of recognizing when something hurts you, they say that you're being too sensitive or emotional. This form of abuse may leave you feeling confused, and you may start to doubt your own feelings. 9. They gaslight you. Gaslighting is when someone lies about what and how things happened, so you doubt your own reality. They may say things like, this never happened, or you remember it wrong, to confuse you. This form of abuse will leave you dependent on your partner for everything. 10. They act differently when you're with other people. There are two ways your abuser may act. They may be caring and considerate in public to fool everyone, or they might be distant and unloving as a way to control how you behave with your friends and family. 11. Their love is conditional. Saying they don't love you when you disagree or argue is a sign of emotional abuse. It bases the relationship on validation instead of connection and implies that you're only worthy of love when you do what they want. 12. They ignore your accomplishments. Abusers may feel threatened by your accomplishments, and so instead of recognizing the work you've done, they downplay or even ignore it altogether. They might say things like, that's easy, anyone can do that, or it isn't a big deal. 13. They imply you're not helpful. 
Abusers will tell you what to do and what to think to control your thoughts and behaviors. They hide this by making it seem that you aren't helpful or that you're selfish. And 14, they need to know where you are. Do they constantly ask you where you are and who you're with? Constantly checking up on you is a form of control since they wanna know all of your movements all the time. It shows that they don't trust you or your judgment. Do you see any of these signs in your relationships? Let us know in the comments below. Also, remember to like and share this video with those who might benefit from it. The references and studies used in this video are added in the description below. Thanks for watching. You are listening we'll to Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone. If you live in Canada, the US, and the UK, and are looking for Dominica products, including cocoa sticks, bay rum, coffee, soaps, crafts, and other popular Dominica items, then look no further. You can now shop on buydominicaonline.com, a secure, easy-to-navigate website selling a wide variety of Dominica-made and Dominica-inspired products. When you shop on buydominicaonline.com, you are helping to grow Dominica's economy. Go to buydominicaonline.com and enjoy home away from home. important that we recognize the signs of domestic abuse as well as intimate partner abuse. So just wanted to share this information with you today as we observe Domestic Violence Month. So here we are at the end of the program. I am happy that you took some time to be with us today as we get powered up for the week ahead right here on Untapped Potential. So again, we are back next week. We're doing it again on TDN Radio, same time, 5.30 Eastern Time uh, on TDN Radio next Tuesday. And if this was your first time joining the program, we say a special good evening to you and thank you for being here. Uh, if you would like more information about this particular program, as well as any past podcasts you may have missed with some of our wonderful guests, we encourage you to check out our podcast on pushpast10.com. That is P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10.com, pushpast10.com for the past podcasts of the episodes of Untapped Potential. So when you get over there, simply click on the up tab, UP tab, and it will take you to all our great podcasts. And while you're there, check out our featured video for this week. And that particular video is the interview Sassenu of Mr. John Loblack. So if you're from Dominica, John Loblack is very familiar to you. He was a former broadcaster on the nation station DBS radio, and eventually he migrated to the U.S. So we had a fantastic conversation talking about his transition from Dominica to Wichita Falls, Texas Midwestern State University, which we both attended together. And we just had fun just reminiscing on the good old days of him living Florida and traveling to Texas, thinking that there was no cold weather in Texas <laughs> to be very unpleasantly surprised at how cold it gets in Texas. So again, we do this program completely in Dominica's Creole to promote the language and to promote our culture. And speaking of which, I've had the opportunity to become a member of the Committee Pu Etit Creole, which means the Creole Committee 
in Dominica. So we continue to do the work to advance our language, advance our culture, promote and support who we are. So I am happy for the opportunity to be a part of Keck and to also have some of the members come over to our Push Past 10 platform on Facebook so we can continue this very important journey together. So lots going on, lots going on in the area of promoting and supporting uh, uh, Dominica. So truly grateful for the opportunity. As a matter of fact, my platform now receives about 10,300 visitors every month. So I am so surprised so thankful and grateful for your support, for everyone who supports what we're doing via Facebook Live, via our YouTube channel, and of course, via TDN Radio uh, through the sponsorship of our Facebook Live program. So as I always say, it is each one of us doing our part, which will continue to advance our beautiful island, Dominica. So thank you again for being here. Thank you again for being a part of our global community, our international village. And uh, we continue our Facebook Live programmings uh, this week. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we will have... No, as a matter of fact, later today, Tuesday, we should have the Dominica Houston Association joining us as they tell us what they're doing to promote uh, Dominica's culture. So I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but what we're going to do as of um, last week, because we started with the Afro-Creole Music Festival in Houston as well, we're just going to do a worldwide tour. So we're going to take you around the world and stop in into all the Dominica associations just to see how they are promoting and celebrating being Dominica. So I hope that you will join us for this very important journey of celebrating and promoting who we are as we take you around the world. And everyone has been supportive. I'm truly grateful for the support of everyone. So we've already received a contact for the Toronto Dominica Association as well as the Dominica Association in Florida. So if you know of any association that you would like to be included in this worldwide tour, you can, you can shoot me an email. And my email address is pushpast10 at gmail.com. So again, P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10 at gmail.com. If you have any organization, uh, any association affiliated with Dominica, so we can share the important work that they're doing to promote uh, us as Dominicans. So again, thank you for being here for another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone. The pleasure is always mine to be in your company each and every Tuesday. And we remind you to stay positive, stay strong, stay engaged, and stay active. And always remember, your life story is your strength. The challenges you faced in the past have prepared you for the challenges that you face today. So remember to tap in to your potential each and every week. And I will see you again next week, same time, same place. So until then, you have yourself a wonderful week.